What's Going On, My Take Radio, episode 58, for Thursday, September 9th, 2010. The intro music you just heard was the Scott Pilgrim Universal Studios intro that you can hear on the Scott Pilgrim official motion picture soundtrack. The call-in number, as always, is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number is 347-324-3541. All right, a little housekeeping. Um, I'm a little rusty, obviously. My Take Radio was off last week. I was dealing with uh, some personal issues. I'm not going to elaborate too much, obviously, but, you know, it was just some stuff that actually may be affecting the show in the near future. To what extent, I don't know, but um, I will keep you guys abreast of the situation over the coming weeks, and I'll let you know. It may affect the live shows a bit, not 100% certain, but that's what's going on in regards to that. So I just needed a kind of a forced hiatus to clear my head and get my shit back together so I can continue giving you guys kick-ass radio every week. Um, In some regular My Take Radio news, the theme that is being worked on for the new site is kind of on hold. That kind of stems from the issues that are going on behind the scenes. In addition to that, the move to the new host hit a complete snag um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, the company that we, I was moving to, which is West Host, we were going to put the My Take Radio site on what's called a uh, semi-dedicated server, which would allow the site to run super fast and not get bogged down with, you know, thousands and thousands of other sites on the same server. Unfortunately, when I went to move the site over, the semi-dedicated hosting was no longer available, and they were using something new called cloud hosting, which was supposed to be infinitely faster, all this great shit. I was excited, of course, you know, because the site would run super fast. I could put all kinds of crazy content, you know, in preparation for spikes in traffic. Needless to say, total clusterfuck. For some reason, WordPress doesn't play nice with the cloud hosting. So, unfortunately, we had to – I actually had to cancel the West Host service, and I am looking for – actively looking for a new host, a new web host for the show. I've been looking at Bluehost, um, maybe doing a – sharing a a host with with a buddy of mine. Who knows, but – Definitely, My Take Radio will still be moved to a new host to optimize and be faster, and there still will be a new 3.0 at some point, but until then, it's still going to be the 2.0, and possibly there will be a new forum because that I can handle on my own. Needless to say, I want to always be honest and forthright with you guys and let you know what's going on behind the scenes just in case it affects the show. In some other news, I actually received an email today if you've been reading the Facebook fan page, you'll know that My Take Radio's um, iTunes app is officially on the Apple iTunes store as of this morning. Um, You can get it if you have an iPod Touch, iPhone, or iPad. A couple of things first. The app, very bare bones. I'll tell you why. When I was discussing the, the, the opportunity for the show to have an app, I hadn't pulled the trigger on it completely just because... You know, there were certain there were certain things going on at the time that wouldn't allow me to, to put the proper stuff on the app in terms of wallpaper and, and artwork and graphics and shit like that. Um, but unfortunately, I, I opened up my email, and I was like, holy shit, um, this app is live. 
So I went and I checked it out. I don't have an iPhone anymore. It's pretty cool. I'm going to definitely make some changes now that I know what to do and um, make the app more uh, in the vein of My Take Radio. There's going to be bonus content. There's going to be new wallpapers and stuff you can download for your phone if you want to support the show. Um, I'm also going to work on some bonus content. Don't know what it is yet. I was originally going to make the Minority Film Report bonus content for the app, but it seems that the amount of people that are listening to the Minority Film Report are actually pretty good. And as such, I'm just going to leave the Minority Film Report as part of the regular My Take Radio series. But there will be something bonus, you know, bonus-related for the app. The app, it, it's not free. I'm telling you guys right now, it's a dollar it's $1.99, you know, lousy two bucks. If you have an iPhone, an iPad, an iPod Touch, whatever, and you want to have instant access to the show wherever you are without having to subscribe to the podcast, you just get the app, you press play, and you're good to go. If you want to get, like, wallpapers and stuff, like I said, that's going to be coming real soon to the app. But until then, you can hear the show anywhere directly through the app. If you don't want to stream it through the site or stream it on your phone, you can just play it directly from the app. I believe it will also allow you to access the Facebook uh, not the Facebook, actually, yeah, the Facebook fan page, I believe, and possibly the Twitter fan, the Twitter page for the show. I'm still trying to work the ins and outs of the app, like I said, because I no longer have an iPhone. But it's a dollar ninety-nine if you want to have instant access to the show and keep track of what's going on without going to the site on the regular. Two bucks, you know, it's you know the equivalent of two hamburgers on the dollar menu or a, a, a one liter, you know, a freaking small bottle of soda in the grocery store. So if you want to pick it up, head over to iTunes and look for My Take Radio in the App Store. In some other news, I actually got some news today. I was on the fence of addressing it, and I'm just going to be kind of vague in regards to downloads for the show. And some people seem to have issues with the amount of numbers that are out there in the field. And, you know, they, they've, made, they've made mention of it in, in public forums, and it's gotten back to me, and that's fine. You know, that, I, have no, I have no qualms about other people's commentary on the show. That's fine. But I, I will say that we are well beyond 20,000 total downloads between Libsyn and Blog Talk Radio. Uh, the show is listened to in Hong Kong, uh, England, Australia, you know, it's, it's expanded to a, to, a, to a global level, and I'm very excited for that. So for those that, of you that are listening in other countries and are familiar with the English language, excluding uh, the U.K., of course, by all means, feel free to send me an email. Let me know where you are, what you think of the show. I would definitely welcome input from our international listeners. For that, they can email mtrhost at gmail.com. Um, Needless to say, the show is growing. There's a couple of things in the pipe that I will be announcing in a couple of weeks. I will say we have one guest that I'm hoping I land that that you guys are definitely going to enjoy, especially if you're fans of, especially for the comic fans and for comic movie fans, you guys are going to really appreciate this guest if it all gets finalized, and hopefully it'll be put together right before Comic-Con, which, of course, we will be covering October 8th, 9th, and 10th. Um, of course, the donation button is on MyTakeRadio.com. Again, it's there. You guys know what the deal is. I'm not going to go and, you know, beat the shit out of it. But I will, in 
in on a totally separate donation note, talk about the cancer walk that my fiance is doing for making strides against cancer. I want to take the opportunity and thank some of the people that have already submitted donations. I want to thank Bronx, Wolf, uh, Dark Helmet, and Slick for their donations to do their part to help stop out breast cancer. It's uh, Like I said, it's a cause that's very near and dear to me, and I appreciate those guys for taking the opportunity and, you know, digging in their wallets and helping out my fiance as she walks for this really worthy cause, which, like I said, is very close to me. With that said, um, I'm not going to beat up the, the gloom and doom of, of the cancer walk because you guys know the deal. If you guys want to donate, I will post a link on the fan page uh, later on this evening or tomorrow afternoon. If you want to click it and donate, not a problem. You can do it. If you don't, it's all the same. No harm, no foul. All right. New posts. There are tons of new posts on MyTakeRadio.com. There's tons of reviews. Slick's review on Machete is fantastic. Yes, I'm Hispanic. Yes, I say it that way. For the for those of you that aren't and say it machete, you guys know the deal. Um, and I actually want to address that as well. You guys can check out his kick-ass review on MyTakeRadio.com. Uh, my fiance put up a little bit of a of a breakdown for the upcoming season of Smallville. You guys can check that out as well. I'm also working on a review for the Expendables. Um, it would have been up a few um, a couple of days ago, but there's a few things that I wasn't happy about as I was writing it. So, you know, you're your own worst critic, and I went back into the lab, so hopefully I can have the review up and finalized this weekend and thrown up on the site for you guys to check out. Uh, forums are active. I haven't been in them for a while just because work and the real world has kept me from the forums, but those guys in there, guys like Bob, Bronx, Slick, those guys are carrying the torch and keeping the forum active. So definitely stop in there, shoot the shit with those guys about some of the topics that are already in the forum, and I'm more than sure you'll have at least one good laugh during the day. All right, with that said, that's going to wrap up the housekeeping for this week. Here's a rundown of tonight's topics. We're going to talk about the UFC 118 payouts. I'm not going to bother talking about UFC 118 because everybody's read and heard everything there is to know about it. James Tony is not done in the octagon. You heard correct. He's not. International MMA tournament. Dana White's involved. We're going to discuss that. The TNA No Surrender pay-per-view. We're going to break down Monday Night Raw for this week. We're going to talk a little bit about the new season of NXT that's going to be only focused on the WWE Divas. we got some MPD numbers and video game news and your movie news. Let's start with MMA first. The Massachusetts State Athletic Commission disclosed some of the salaries for UFC 118. There was some, there was some serious dough made by good old James Tony, but we'll break it down. We'll start with the main event first. With Frankie Edgar versus BJ Penn as the main event, BJ Penn got $150,000, Frankie, Pe- Frankie Edgar made $96,000, and that included a $48,000 win bonus. Randy Couture versus James Tony. Randy Couture got $250,000, no win bonus. Um, James Tony, $500,000. So James Tony made, made a nice chunk of change for getting choked out in the octagon in less than a few minutes. Uh, Damian Maya, 68 grand with a $34,000 win bonus. Uh, Mario Miranda, whom he defeated, made $8,000. Gray Maynard took home $46,000. That included a $23,000 win bonus. Kenny Florian made sixty-five dollars Nate Diaz got sixty dollars 
including a $30,000 win bonus. Marcus Davis, who lost that fight, got $31,000. Joe Lazan made $24,000, $12,000 win bonus. Gabe Rudiger got $8,000. Definitely a lot, of, a lot of dough was given out. So I, I'm really, in a way, a little bit bummed at the fact that James Tony got $500,000 for getting choked out by a legend of the sport who made 250 grand. Uh, you know, for me, it's a it's a bit of a of a hard pill to swallow to see that just because you'd have thought that Randy Couture would have made at least three four hundred thousand dollars and James Tony would have made two hundred and fifty. But the fact that Tony made more money than Couture is a little fucking sketchy, at least for me. But in speaking speaking of James Tony, despite his, getting his ass handed to him by Randy Couture, James Tony's not done with MMA yet. His trainer, John Pops Arthur, said that Tony decided right after his loss to Couture that he wasn't quitting MMA, telling Pops they might have won the battle, but the war ain't over yet. I'm more than sure that when he said that, there was probably subtitles right under his head as he was saying it. Pops added that something happened backstage prior to the fight that made it to where Tony wasn't capable of listening, but wouldn't say what that something was. The fuck happened? Did his eardrum pop? Did somebody fucking throw fucking Vaseline in his ears? Like... What could have happened prior to the fight that didn't allow him to listen? And not for nothing, what are you going to yell? Look out, he's going for the leg. Look out, he's choking you out. Look out, he's punching you in the face. Get the fuck out of here. That's a, unless it's something legit, like he had, like, fucking bleeding in his ear or problems with his, with his hearing from, like, water in his ears or an eardrum issue. The fuck out of here with that, man. He put... He added the following. If a fighter doesn't respond, not just James, but anybody, to his coaches, what can you say? James was so upset. He was so mad. He just wanted to hit Randy. He wanted to get close enough to hit him one time because of so many things that happened that night that were going against us. There were some things, there were some things that happened that he wasn't happy with. It's personal. It drove him to a whole different level. I said, whatever you do, don't stand in front of the kid because the kid's going to try and take you down, Arthur recalls. He's going to take that lead leg, and that's exactly what he did. I told him he's got to move. You've got to get out of there and use your boxing skills. He had those damn couplings on his feet, those damn things that keep you from sliding, and that's another bad thing. He gave Couture something to grab onto. Pops also said that Tony tried to get some time with UFC head Dana White prior to the post-show press conference but was unable to. White said after the show that he wouldn't be putting Tony in the octagon again, so Tony may have to go elsewhere. In his last statement, he said, well, then Dana needs to send some release papers. If we don't plan on fighting in the UFC, send me the release paper and we'll take it to the next level. I know the UFC is the number one promotion in mixed martial arts, but if Dana voiced that we don't fight for him anymore, send me the release papers. I don't have any problem with that. Once that happens, then I'll start working on stuff. But right now, we're focused on him defending his IBA heavyweight championship. First off, let me... Let me take my, my myself out of being an MMA fan and just call, telling it like it is. James Tony had nine months of preparation. Nine. Don't get me wrong. You could learn a lot in nine months. Yes. If it's your first rodeo, you can learn a decent amount. Absolutely. Can you learn takedown defense in nine months? Probably. Did James Tony sleep on Randy Couture? He may have. The fact of the matter is that James Tony went in there with the assumption that the bell was going to ring 
and he was going to clobber Randy Couture like a baby seal. You're not fighting a tomato can. You're fighting a guy who's a fucking legend. You're fighting a guy who beat Tim Sylvia's ass, a guy who was a, a former heavyweight champion, was taller than him, heavier than him, and had a longer reach. James Tony went in there, and he wanted to fight the biggest guy, and I give all respect to James Tony. I do, because he's the first guy that actually grew a set of nuts and said, I'm going to go in there and try it, and if I get my ass beat, fine. If I, but, but he went in there determined to become a two-sport athlete. I admire the guy's balls. I admire the fact that he went in there and, and he put them four-ounce gloves on and he took his loss and he kept it moving. If there was personal shit that happened, that's, you know, that's unfortunate for the sport. But if you're not going to dedicate yourself completely to mastering this sport, I really feel that he's not going to be able to divide time between boxing and MMA adequately. Either his boxing is going to suffer or his MMA is going to suffer. That's just the way shit is. Bobby Lashley tried to do it with pro wrestling that isn't a real sport but is very physical and MMA, and it just he just couldn't do it. It just couldn't happen. Now, you're looking at a guy like James Tony who does a legit sport trying to do another legit sport with conditioning and everything, it, it's, something's going something's gonna to give somewhere. And you know what? Maybe James Tony will go back in the lab and put a, a year under his belt. Maybe he'll fight on an undercard or two or an ultimate fight night. But if you think that anybody's going to pay $45, $45 or 50 bucks to see James Tony get choked out in 50 seconds again, it's not going to happen. He's not a viable main event commodity. He was viable with the, with the lead-up to this fight, with the sell that he did for this fight. After the fact, he lost. You either go back to the lab and get better, or you get released. That's how it goes. But all these excuses and all this shit, like I said, they could be true. But I don't like that they're attributing all these personal issues with his, with his fighting. Same thing with the hearing issue. If he wasn't cleared to fight because he couldn't hear, I really think that physicians would have said the dude can't hear instructions from his corner. Don't let him fight. There, there's really a lot of holes in that fucking story. I personally feel that if, that if they were doing it for a payday, the guy got half a million dollars. Half a mil. No problem. You made half a mil and you lost. It is what it is. Moving on. UFC primetime is coming back with a special with Lesnar versus Velasquez, which is going to be debuting October 6th at 11 p.m. with subsequent episodes October 13th and the 20th. UFC 121 is going to be October 23rd at the Honda Center in Anaheim, and it will be headlined by Lesnar versus Velasquez. The UFC prelim special featuring the two preliminary card bouts will also air on Spike TV. A lot of people are a little bit shocked that this is that this particular special is going to happen because Lesnar when he fought Carwin declined to participate in a primetime special the basis for it is that Lesnar is said to be very private when it comes to his training I personally want to see it because it really is um, a great look into some of these really great training camps like when you did the primetime special with George St. Pierre and uh, Dan Hardy it was really great watching these guys train for this fight because you see the crazy shit that they go through to get ready and the traveling they do. And not only that, but you get a little bit more insight into fighter personalities 
And I think for Lesnar, he needs something like this because there's way too many people that think that he's just an outright dick. I, I, you know, I still believe that to an extent, but I'm also looking at him from a competitive athlete standpoint, and it really intrigues me to want to see how he he puts the, puts a training regimen together, especially after recovering from his diverticulitis scare. So definitely something something to watch for sure. That's going to be October 6th at 11 p.m., October 13th, and October 20th. In some other UFC news, UFC 124 was officially announced. That's going to be taking place in Montreal at the Bell Center on December 11th. The main event is going to be Josh Koscheck versus George St. Pierre, which, of course, are the coaches for this year's Ultimate Fighter, which premieres September 15th, along with an Ultimate Fight Night that will lead right into this season's Ultimate Fighter. Definitely excited for the ultimate, this season's Ultimate Fighter because you got you know, the, the, the ultimate hero of MMA in George St. Pierre and, and, and the perfect villain in Josh Koscheck. Just those parallels alone make for interesting television. Not only that, but based on some of the previews I've seen, which I'm going to be posting on the site, there, there's actually going to be some really exciting fights on this season. So hopefully it doesn't disappoint. And UFC 124 in, in George St. Pierre's backyard in Montreal is going to be madness. Madness. It's going to be insanity. Hometown boy coming home, defending his belt. You know, Josh Koscheck must be salivating to, to get in there and take that belt from GSP. But I don't know, man. GSP's in a, in, a, in, a, in a complete other world when it comes to training for fights. I think his loss to Matt Serra really fucked him up and definitely made him train even harder than he already has trained. His work ethic is ridiculous. So, Definitely looking forward to UFC 124. Now, like I said in the lead-in to tonight's show, there was discussion about, there's always been discussion about MMA being in the Olympics. Personally, I feel that MMA in the Olympics would be something, uh, a culmination of hard work from multiple MMA organizations and, of course, the hard work of the athletes that go and put their bodies on the line to entertain us, the fans. But not only that, a lot, of the, a lot of the individual sports that comprise MMA are already Olympic sports. Unfortunately, the odds of that happening anytime in the near future, very slim. But that hasn't stopped Dana White from working on something totally different. Dana White said that he's planning to launch an international tournament for MMA. He went on to state the following. What we're starting to do now is we're working on ways to get the ultimate fighter in other countries. We're going to start getting the ultimate fighter into each of these different countries and try to figure out how and when we do the finales. The finale could be all of the countries coming together and everybody fights. Canada, the Middle East, and China already seem like frontrunners for their own versions of the ultimate fighter. White hopes to eventually have multiple versions of the show running at the same time, culminating in a massive international finale. Technology is our friend, White said. There are, more, there are more ways to watch this stuff. People will be able to watch The Ultimate Fighter from other countries online or however. That's our long-term goal, and that's what we're working on and trying to figure out how to do. White also said that WEC-focused versions of The Ultimate Fighter are on the horizon, since so many of the prize recruits in other countries are in smaller divisions. As we continue to do more fights and, and continue to travel around, we need more weight divisions. So we're going to be adding weight divisions and getting those lighter weights in there in the WEC. And despite all the expansion, White doesn't seem too concerned about growing too fast. He says, it's scary how many fights we're going to do. We just did four fights last month. 
as this thing continues to open up to different places and as long as we can keep putting on great cards, we're just going to keep popping out fights left and right. People always ask, are you oversaturating? There are too many football are, – are there too many football games on? Are there too many baseball games on? As long as we're putting on great fights, we're going to keep doing it. You know what? I think that this is great just because it opens up so many countries to, to MMA and just to see so many other MMA practitioners out there that are probably great in their own right be showcased uh, on a world stage is really fantastic. I think that seeing it come together – just imagine uh, – Ultimate Fighters, Ultimate Fighter shows in different countries, either simulcast on Spike or able to be watched online, and then the finale is done in the U.S. or, or in one host country, and it's just a, a, a fucking free-for-all of countries trying to be the ultimate fighter, trying to have the supreme athlete from their country be represented in the UFC. I think that that's, that's an awesome concept, and you know what, if we can't get MMA in the Olympics, that would be worth watching for sure. So definitely props to Dana White for thinking outside of the box. i got to say it, and I've said it countless other times off air, Dana White knows his shit when it comes to growing business. He's, he's the Vince McMahon of MMA to an extent. You know, brash personality, larger than life, tries to give the fans the, as much of the fan service as he can give them. Uh, Vince McMahon... He's kind of dropped off a little bit on the fan service just for a couple of other reasons. But still, trying to give the, the putting on great fights and great cards, the UFC is definitely at the top of its game with that shit for sure. Here's, here's something that I actually I wasn't sure how to address, but I definitely wanted to discuss it. Um, authentic Brands, well, the Authentic Brands Group LLC has purchased both Tapout and Silver Star Casting Company. The terms of the deal weren't disclosed, but the company hopes that the purchase of Tapout and Silver Star will help the company's continued move into the MMA market. I think that putting all of these under one umbrella might be – it is good in, in the big scheme of things, but personally I think that it may become something where it becomes watered down. I really don't want to walk into something like Target and see Tapout shirts in Target. I mean, it's cool and all, but I, I, I'm worried about – all this falling under such a huge umbrella and being mainstream to the point where it's not cool anymore. It, it can happen. I mean, a lot of people have said that the, this is what happened with, with Ed Hardy to an extent. I really think that Ed Hardy just was perpetuated by douches and their designs got way too garish and way too ridiculous for their own good. In addition to that, you know, the, the fact that you're paying $65 for a T-shirt with rhinestones on it, is, is another category of douchery all its own. Don't get me wrong, I've, I've worn clothing by Affliction, I've worn clothing by Extreme Couture, I've supported both organizations, but I also do it because they support the fighters. And as long as they continue supporting the fighters, and I personally don't become an insta-douche by putting on the clothing, I will, I will support the organizations as best as I can. I don't personally buy the tap-out clothing just because I feel that it's, it's become that stigma of douchery that something like Ed Hardy has become. And, you know, you automatically have a tap-out shirt on and a couple of tattoos, and people automatically look at you like you're, you're prone to fits of violence and prone to beating people up. I do actually want to get a couple of tap-out shirts to just support some of my favorite fighters, and I think that's just going to be the safer bet. I'm not going to go crazy just wearing a tap-out with a giant fist or any of that shit. Because there's always some asshole somewhere that wants to 
either, you know, challenge your rationale for wearing it or just shit on the brand as a whole. And not for nothing, if it helps grow the sport, I try to support as many brands as I can. So definitely uh, tap out and Silver Star being acquired by Authentic Brands, something to watch within the coming months for sure. Todd Duffy, huge MMA prospect in the heavyweight division, one of the fastest KOs in UFC history with a seven-second KO over Tim Haig at UFC 102, got cut by the UFC. He was 6-1 and one when he got cut. Huge potential for this kid. I don't know what happened. I don't know what was the rationale for his cut. He only had that one loss to Mike Russo at UFC 114, and he was set to fight John Madsen at UFC 121, but he ended up sustaining a knee injury, and that ended up taking him out of the game. Real unfortunate, but I have a feeling that Strike Force is going to pick him up right away and toss him right into the heavyweight division. So it's unfortunate he got cut by the, by the UFC, but I guarantee you this will not be the last we see of Todd Duffy, that's for sure. Got to take a moment and uh, send a good luck shout-out to a uh, former guest on the show, former WEC lightweight champion and assistant coach of the Ultimate Fighter, Razor Rob McCullough, who is fighting this evening at Tachi Palace Fight 6 at the High Stakes event. You can watch that on GoFightLive.com. Um, definitely a solid card. He's actually fighting Corey Hill, who was another veteran of the Ultimate Fighter. Um, Anthony Ruiz is going to be fighting Leopoldo Soral for the vacant middleweight title. Uh, another UFC Ultimate Fighter standout, Casey Uscola, is going to be fighting Doug Marshall on the card. So definitely fights to watch for sure. You can check that out this evening on GoFightLive.com. If you're on Twitter and you're following My Take Radio, take a quick minute, check out at Razor Rob, send him a good luck shout-out. Razor Rob was an awesome guest, great great friend of the show, just a really cool, laid-back dude, and I'm definitely wishing him the best of luck, and I hope to see him in the UFC soon, for sure. UFC 122 and the last bit of MMA news is starting to come together really nicely. That's going to be on November 13th in Germany, and it's going to air free on Spike TV. The main event for that card is going to be a middleweight clash between Vitor Belfort and Yushin Okami. The winner of that bout is expected to get a middleweight title shot against the winner of Anderson versus Chael 2. Definitely a solid card. Here's some other rumored matches for that card. Christoph Szczynski is going to be fighting Goran Relzic. Uh Jorge Rivera is going to be fighting Alessio Sakara. These are all rumored so far. Amir Sadal is on there. Jason Brills is going to be fighting Vladimir Matyshenko. Seth Petrozelli's on that card. Kyle Noak. Definitely a great card, and the best part of it all, it's free. UFC 122 is going to be November 13th from Germany, from the Koenig Pilsner Arena in Uberhausen, Germany. And that's going to be same-day delay, November 13th. I'm going to take a quick commercial break. When I get back, we're going to talk some wrestling right after this. The following advertisement is for BornStubbornRadio.com. BornStubborn Radio. We like news, we like current events, but we like the fucked up news and the fucked up current events. At BornStubborn Radio, we talk about everything in entertainment. We talk about movies. We talk about music. Mostly heavy stuff. Have good mosh pitting! And because we're big fucking nerds, we talk about video games. <laughs> we're big fucking nerds. We love video games. Fuck's sake, man. Rick loves the show. Yeah. Hey, Rich, you like the show, don't you? Yeah, man. Are you sure you like the show? <laughs> yeah, man. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop the music. 
Isn't Born Stubborn Radio one of your favorite podcasts? Yeah, man. Awesome. Okay, hold on a second. But I was just curious. I'm thinking about coming to New York. Awesome. You live in New York, right? Yeah. You think maybe I could uh, crash on your couch? Uh, in the predominantly Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking 20 of them shits. Um, Rich, I love you, but I don't know what the fuck you just said. In the Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking 20 of them shits. Exactly. Okay, I, I don't know what Rich is thinking, but BornStepInRadio.com is where you should be going right now. Here you go, get it! Have good luck fitting. All right, and we're back. Let's talk some wrestling. First off, TNA's No Surrender pay-per-view. I really expected a great showing. Marginally good, marginally. I'm going to run down the card real quick. TNA Tag Team title match. It was supposed to be the Motor City Machine Guns against London Brawling, which was uh, unfortunately postponed. I don't know what happened with London Brawling in regards to them making it to the show or something that happened involving those guys, but they ended up being replaced by Generation Me. Solid match, definitely from start to finish. The Motor City Machine Guns retained with uh, via pinfall with the uh, neckbreaker frog splash combo, which they call the skull and bones, allegedly, at which point they did the Generation Me heel turn where they attacked the Motor City Machine Gun. I am definitely going to be watching this feud closely because Generation Me, they have real shades of brilliance in them, a little bit of the Hardy Boys, a little bit of the Rockers, even a little bit of Edge and Christian. So I think maybe a heel turn might be what these guys needed just because their gimmick is kind of bland, you know, the, the baby face, yeah, we're coming out here, we're going to entertain the fans, yeah, and, you know, and shit like that. I don't really know if that's that's what's fitting for them. Maybe the heel turn might be what they need, especially if it allows them to um, develop their characters a little more. So I'm definitely going to be watching this feud. Not only that, but the potential for great matches from those two teams, definitely up to scale for sure. The X Division title match with Doug Williams and Sabu, was a definite clusterfuck. Uh, Douglas Williams ended up cracking Sabu with the belt. Definite mix of styles that just didn't play out well. You know, you have the the chain wrestling style of Doug Williams, then you got the crazy, uh, you know, homicidal, suicidal, genocidal, uh, hardcore style of Sabu. It just it just didn't work. It, it, it was it was weird. It, it was such a mishmash of styles, and you know, there were a couple of botched moves on Sabu's part. I mean. Sabu's a guy that his matches are usually just, I don't want to say they're throwaway matches because I'm a fan of his and his matches are usually fucking nuts. But just against a, like a technician like Doug Williams, not, not his best efforts. I think if you would have had like Sabu versus Abyss or something of that nature with like, you know, a seven stages of hell match or something like that, it would have been a fantastic match. But chain wrestling against Doug Williams, ugh. Velvet Sky and Madison Rain were the uh, the knockouts portion of the card. Uh, Velvet Sky ended up winning with the jumping DDT that she uses. Match was okay. I mean, Velvet Sky, you know, the beautiful people, great eye candy for TNA. Madison Rain, but I think that there's just matches where where there's hair pulling and a lot of screaming. While it is fun to watch, n- not good if you're really trying to watch like legit wrestling. Uh, the Falls Count Anywhere match with a Rhino and Abyss, a lot of people shit on this match. I actually enjoyed it. Uh, you always know that Rhino's going to do some real crazy shit, 
And Abyss, a lot of people have been giving him a lot of shit, too. I feel that Abyss is really the, one of the more talented big men or big wrestlers in the business, um, right up there with Kane. Not so much with The Undertaker as of late, but definitely up there in terms of his character and his gimmick. I really don't like how they jump back and forth between him being borderline handicapped or mentally retarded and then putting him into, like, psychopath with nails in a fucking two-by-four mode. you got to really pick your character. I mean, they did that with Kane, and the same thing, the fans just, they, they don't, they don't appreciate it the same way. Like, you either got to make him a psychopathic good guy, I mean, a psychopathic bad guy, or a tweener. Like, you can't even make him a full-fledged good guy because he looks like a, like he's a bad dude. So I think that what they're doing with his character and the whole them and 10-10-10, definitely something to watch for sure. I, I think Abyss really doesn't get a lot of credit for the work he puts in in some of these matches. Man, I've seen him dropped on tacks, dropped on glass, barbed wire. The guy's all cut up and shit, tons of blade jobs. Uh, really, really stiff chair shots to the head. Uh, Abyss is is good at his job, man. Definitely props to him. The tag match with Sting and Kevin Nash against Jeff Jarrett and Samoa Joe, at least to me, sucked. Um, One reason was just because, again, just a clash of styles that just didn't gel right. Um, Samoa Joe and Jeff Jarrett ended up winning. Uh, He ended up, Samoa Joe got the coquina clutch on Sting. Okay match. Definitely one of the weaker matches on the card. The I Quit match with AJ and Tommy Dreamer, definitely highlight of the night. Great match from start to finish. They ended up, uh, Tommy Dreamer, and actually AJ ended up making Tommy Dreamer say he quits because AJ, get this, was stabbing a fork into Tommy Dreamer's eye. So uh, definitely a fork to the eye. Definitely shades of New Jack with that victory. But the match itself, really well done. There was bits of of technical wrestling back and forth. There were a couple of really great spots. Um, there was a kendo stick cross face that was done. Just definitely solid. I really enjoyed this, and it really showed um, great diversity from Tommy Dreamer. Everybody expects, you know, typical hardcore, I'm going to hit you with trash can lids and shit. But Tommy, Tommy Dreamer is a, a good wrestler, man, and he, he showed it. Uh, TNA World Title Tournament match with Kurt Angle and Jeff Hardy, another badass match. Um, they kept doing this crazy shit where time expired, and they were extending the match, extending the match. So nobody ended up winning. Fantastic match, though. The semi, the semifinal was with Mr. Anderson and the Pope. Mr. Anderson ended up beating the Pope with the mic check. Definitely not one of their better matches, considering the matches that they've had together have been numerous already. Definitely not one of their best matches, but Anderson moves into the main event slot. Odds are... Probably it's going to be a triple threat with Hardy, Angle, and Mr. Anderson. And at the end of the day, I see Kurt Angle getting the belt just because they're doing the angle with, uh, no pun intended, with Kurt Angle. If he loses, he'll retire, and he's, you know, going to wrestle until he gets the TNA Heavyweight Championship. So, overall, not their best card. There were a couple of standout matches, but... I don't know, man. I, I, I just felt some of, the, some of the matches were rushed, and there was definitely way too many clashes of styles, for sure. In some Raw news, a little bit of uh, Raw leading up to Night of Champions. Um, of course, uh, Nexus, they open up Raw as usual, talking their shit. Nexus is down to, I believe, five guys now. Uh, Darren Young got the boot out of the group. Skip Shetfield has an injury. So Wade, uh, Wade Barrett, of course, comes out, opens Raw, blah, 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 where the Nexus were awesome, this, that, and the third. 
and of course the Nexus members were going to be in action tonight. Who knew? And of course the mystery GM, of course, in full effect with the with the emails and Michael Cole. I have an email from the general manager. He states, and I quote, and it's just like, all right, dude, we get it. It's like the fact that there's a beep that you got an email. You don't have to fucking get up every time and go, I received another email. I don't know if he if he's doing it just to make the fans boo him or what, but it just fucking blows. The first match of the night was Chris Jericho versus John Morrison. Um, if Chris Jericho lost the match, he would lose his slot in the six-pack challenge of Night of Champions. Something totally unexpected happened for once in wrestling, and Chris Jericho did lose. I don't know if this opens up the slot for John Morrison to go into the six-pack challenge. Maybe Jericho will sneak in and do something on the SmackDown side of things. No idea what they're doing with Jericho. Um, there's been rumors that his contract was up and he wasn't going to renew, and he was going to go into acting and start doing shit in Hollywood. So don't know. Might be that that's what's going to be happening for sure. I mean, with Chris Jericho, even if he's not in the main event, he's, he's entertaining enough and he can carry a match with anybody that he may find a way to sneak into the Night of Champions card. Or, like I said, he may not renew his contract, and that'll be his out. The Divas Championship match with Melina and Alicia Fox. Ugh. Melina, good wrestler. I'm not saying great. I'm not saying technically adept, but good. But whenever she wrestles Alicia Fox, it just looks like shit. I don't know if it's because Alicia Fox is still learning or because the just the, 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 the wrestling is just really, really basic. No idea. But definitely not one of their better matches for sure. John Cena ended up fighting one of the Nexus members. It was Justin Gabriel. Um, John Cena ended up winning with a top rope FU. The whole big deal about it was that Justin Gabriel had been hitting John Cena with the uh, 450 splash on numerous occasions, so he kind of thought he had John Cena's number. Of course, John Cena, being the Hulk Hogan of the modern-day generation, wasn't going to lose to a lowly member of the Nexus, leading to a pay-per-view. No! Why would he? Nonetheless, the match was pretty good. It made Justin Gabriel look look a lot better than he's looked in previous matches. He actually looked like he, he he's like he belonged. A lot of times he's wrestled, and it just looked really awkward, I think because he was still a bit tentative. But the showcase was truly on him as an individual and not as much as a member of the Nexus. So I really appreciated that they put the time together and let him, you know, expand from just the typical John Cena ass-whooping for sure. Definitely impressive. Uh, the Miz, nice little skit with The Miz unveiling that he's on the cover of WWE Magazine. I'm telling you right now, The Miz push is in full effect. The Miz is going to have the belt within the next year. You heard it here first. Just because he, he's, he's developed so much as a character that it's become, it, it's become totally different than the days of, you know, being uh, together with, with Miz and Morrison, you know, when they were Miz and Morrison, when he was the tag team with John Morrison, and all his real-world shit and the chick magnet. All that shit is just brushed aside for this current incarnation of The Miz that has a good catchphrase. He's, he's very, he's improved greatly on the microphone, and the people just hate his fucking guts. He's really one of those guys that screams, I'm supposed to be a bad guy, period. It's, it's, it's weird, but he, he definitely is coming into his own, and 
his career is going to be a career that if he stays injury-free, it's going to be a, a very long and illustrious career for the Miz. They're already building up his feud with Daniel Bryan, which, again, in something which I rarely, rarely do, WWE seems to be doing it right. They've expanded the feud from NXT all the way through the pay-per-view, still active on Raw. Daniel Bryan, of course, will be wrestling The Miz for the U.S. Championship at Night of Champions. They might do one of two things, either keep the belt on The Miz and have him cash in the money in the bank and lose, or give the belt to Bryan just so that they can focus on pushing The Miz into the main event. He cashes it in, and he wins. Who knows, but definitely the segment between Bryan and The Miz, fantastic. Like You can see that the chemistry was there, which is always good. And that's one of the things that sells a lot of wrestling storylines, just the chemistry in and of itself is, is speaks volumes, even before they wrestle. Happened with The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock and Triple H, Hogan and The Rock, Hogan and Macho Man, um, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Bret Hart. Their promos sold you on the match, and then the match delivered. It's just the way it works. Another pointless fucking match between Edge and the Great Khali, just, just fucking ridiculous. Ugh. I don't know if it was because the great Collie may have gotten injured or something, but definitely a totally awkward match for sure. The main event at the end of the night was Wade Barrett fighting against Randy Orton. Uh, Darren Young came out, Chaco Cena, and interfered in the match. Wade Barrett ended up losing, eating an RKO from Randy Orton. Decent match, didn't do any favors for Wade Barrett in showing his wrestling ability. Randy Orton will be will always be Randy Orton where, you know, as soon as that RKO hits, the crowd goes fucking ape shit, especially since he's, you know, Randy or- Stone Cold Randy Orton now, you know, with the fucking crazy RKO out of nowhere and, say, you know, bipolar schizophrenic tendencies. No problem with that. They ended it up with a uh, face-off between Cena and Orton, and next week is the Raw Roulette Wheel. Oh, joy. Not only that, but it's the return of the guest host with Chad Ochocinco, a.k.a. Chad Johnson, as the host for Raw this week. Overall, definitely a a decent Raw, not a totally shitty Raw, but in some other wrestling news that I want to run through real quick, um, the guest hosting thing has kind of taken a back burner, and in some instances it's been a total clusterfuck. Former Raw guest host and Going the Distance star Justin Long actually was interviewed recently, and he said that it was really an awkward awkward appearance for Monday Night Raw for him. I'm just going to read some of his statements. When he was interviewed by Metro World News, they asked him about his time on WWE Raw. He said the following, In no way am I being self-deprecating when I say that this was a disaster. It was just not the audience to be promoting a movie like what, like, like what that was. We were so out of place, it was just awkward. They're all fired up to see guys pummeling each other, not to see three nerdy comedy guys do some bits. They played the trailer for this crowd, and it just silenced them, and not in a good way. When asked how they tried to make the most of a bad situation, he said, you just commit to it as best as you can. We were in Los Angeles at the Staples Center, and the only time we really had the audience on our side was when we were praising the Lakers. And before that, I think the majority of them were contemplating throwing things at us. There were a few homophobic remarks. I don't generalize it. I just know that some wrestling fans were not there, you know, were not meant for that sort of an audience. See, that's the thing with the Raw guest hosts. I don't know where they come up with these fucking crazy ideas that they can just go and put, you know, Phyllis Diller is hosting Monday Night Raw or 
fucking Charo is hosting Monday Night Raw, or Betty, you know, Betty White hosting Monday Night Raw would be funny because she's funny, fan, you know, people like her, and I'm more than sure that she can make any fucking segment amusing. Certain, like Justin Long and those guys, you know, you're the fucking Mac guy. You're promoting a romantic comedy on a wrestling show. Like, who came up with the idea of, oh, yeah, Justin Long can come out and promote this show? Are you fucking kidding me? It, it, it was ridiculous. Like, I understand that they're trying to di- diversify and, and reach out to the quote-unquote PG audience, but think about it. You're, you're putting in a guy from a romantic comedy uh, in a wrestling show. It, it's destined for fucking failure, especially when it's somebody like Justin Long. Like, if you said, I don't know, fucking Ricky Gervais, funny motherfucker, he might do well. Just because he can, he can just rip apart the crowd. If you told me Louis C.K. was hosting Raw, I'd say to myself, this can go really good or really bad. Just because Louis C.K. is a great comedian, but the audience may not be ready to embrace that, and he can't resort to his typical, you know, I fucking, you know, I jerk off on my cat's face humor. That's not going to work. So I think that the, the Raw writers really have to sit down and, and really evaluate who, the, who they want hosting, doing these guest hosting things. I don't really hate the prospect of it. It beats the fucking laptop general manager fucking thing. But I don't like when they just bring in these random fucking people that have no, no fucking remote connection to wrestling. When they had the cast of the A-team on and they had Rampage out there and he interacted with, with the wrestlers and shit, that was cool. Like certain people that they have on, even when they had Bob Barker on, he was, he was funny. He knew how to make it work. I, I think that with Chad Johnson hosting Raw this week, Chad Johnson is a, he's such an egomaniac and such a crazy dude that I think he's, he's going to do really well. I think it's, he's going to have some, a little bit of comedy, a little bit of humor. He might even get a little bit physical depending on what the NFL tells him he can and can't do, but when the fuck has he ever listened to them? So definitely the guest host concept if it's well thought out and well researched, can be huge. But if it's just fucking, you know, let's get, you know, let's get Snooky to host Raw. Disaster written all over it. And not for nothing, if they do want to capture the MTV audience, I wouldn't doubt, I wouldn't doubt that the Jersey Shore will somehow find its way into Monday Night Raw. No doubt. In some real unfortunate news, uh, Jim the Anvil Neidhart, father of uh, WWE diva Natalia, and, of course, one half of the Hart Foundation was arrested Sunday morning for causing a commotion at a gas station in, in Florida. He apparently became loud and unruly while pumping gas while, while also trying to open a pill bottle. When the police arrived, Neidhart argued with them, leading to them patting him down and finding 28 methadone tablets and 95 OxyContin pills on him. Turns out that several that there were several pill bottles that Neidhart had with him were reported stolen by his neighbors. The Fox affiliate in Tampa is reporting that some of the burglary victims knew Neidhart, but did not give him permission to take their medicine. Neidhart was charged with two counts of possession of a controlled substance, two counts of trafficking in a controlled substance, one count of burglary of an occupied dwelling, and one count of grand theft. He was being held without bond before his appearance with the judge. Really unfortunate when I read shit like that. It's just because, you know, like I said, anything that happens with a lot of these older wrestlers, especially if it's something, you know, criminal, it's just real unfortunate to see. And, and you know, I'm more than sure that, that Natalia, 
who, who wrestles with the WWE, you know, has to be distraught and upset with what's happening with her father. So I'm really hoping that the Anvil pulls it together. Um, the WWE does sponsor uh, rehabilitation programs for their performers, so I really hope that they seek him some help so that I don't have to read another so-and-so found dead recently headline. It's just it's just sad and it's unfortunate. So while it is slightly amusing because it is, I really, you know, wish the Anvil a speedy recovery for sure because that's, that's some wild shit. Now I want to talk a little bit about WWE NXT Season 3. Uh, this season of NXT, which is supposed to be, I believe, up until October 1st when they move SmackDown to Sci-Fi, is going to be focused completely on the Divas. Uh, one of the reasons is because WWE is currently unhappy with the Divas they have uh, just because of backstage antics, quality of wrestling, blah, 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 blah. So during the season finale of NXT last week, which Cabal won, they started announcing some of the new NXT Divas. One of the Divas that got a lot of attention was a girl named Aloisa. Uh, Aloisa, I think is how they pronounce it. She is six feet, seven inches tall. She is a big girl. But she's not like a, like a, like a giant, doofy-looking girl. She's actually a, a big, you know, fairly attractive girl. And um, everybody was really looking forward to her debut on NXT, a couple of days before, they ended up saying that Vicky Guerrero, who ended up being her pro, fired her and was going to debut her new NXT rookie during the show. One of the reasons that they say they took her off was, A, allegedly because her wrestling was still very bare bones and she wasn't really good. But the real reason that everybody's been discussing is the fact that she had some, some real uh, eyebrow-raising photos out there on the Internet. Um, a little girl on girl, you know, so a couple of naked pictures, blah, 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 blah. She says, she says and she reported on her website that they were uh, suggestive, suggestive photos, like they weren't, you know, they weren't purposely done of her posing nude. You know, I, I don't know how they're going to go about it. I mean, she's, a, she's an interesting character to watch. It's not every day that you see a chick that's six feet, seven inches tall, basically taller than most of your WWE roster. I think she's almost as tall as Kane and The Undertaker. That is a big girl. And just seeing her interactions with the NXT Divas was something worth watching. Now, don't get me wrong. They got a lot of NXT Divas on there that show potential. The first episode for this week, I got to tell you, fucking sucked. You know, they had fucking, you know, dance contests and hokey little things. I think there was maybe one match in the whole episode. In one hour of wrestling, there was one match and a whole bunch of fucking skits and bullshit. I'm really hoping it improves because the, the quality of women's wrestling in the WWE has definitely taken a massive dump. But we'll see how it pans out. But the uh, recently NXT, you know, the recent uh, departure of the six foot seven uh, giant Amazon that they wanted is definitely going to lower the interest in NXT because that definitely generated a buzz for sure. So... With that said, I'm going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to talk some video games right after this. You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like... <laughs> well, you won't listen to that on our show because uh, we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that, that has 
horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter. Video Game News Radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights on all games. All right, and we're back. Let's talk some video games because there's a lot of shit. Of course, the first bit of news I want to talk about kind of ties into some wrestling. Uh, THQ held a live roster announcement at GameSpot.com recently to announce the roster for the upcoming Raw vs. SmackDown 2011 video game. Uh, Howard Finkel, The Miz, Eve Torres, and Justin Roberts were part of the show. Uh, the roster is not 100% complete because there's still some downloadable content that they got to put out there and also a couple of hidden characters. They did give out most of the roster, and I will go through it with you guys so you can uh, know what to expect in the coming weeks. Uh, Bret Hart is going to be in there for the Raw brand. He's going to be uh, Best Buy downloadable content exclusive, so if you purchase the game at Best Buy, you will get Bret Hart as a downloadable character. Uh, Brie Bella, Chris Jericho, David Hart Smith, Edge, Evan Bourne, Eve Torres, Ezekiel Jackson is in there. Gail Kim, Goldust, John Cena, which is a no-brainer, John Morrison, Mark Henry, Maurice, Melina, The Miz, Natalia, Nikki Bella, Primo Colon, R-Truth, Randy Orton, Santino, Shawn Michaels, which I'm surprised considering that, you know, he retired, Sheamus, Ted DiBiase, Triple H, Tyson Kidd, Vladimir Kozlov, William Regal, Yoshitatsu, and Zack Ryder are going to be in there for the Raw roster. On the SmackDown side of things, you're going to get Beth Phoenix, The Big Show, Chavo Guerrero, Chris Masters, which you're going to be able to get from a downloadable content pack, uh, Christian, CM Punk, Cody Rhodes, Dolph Ziggler, Drew McIntyre, Finley, Jack Swagger, JTG Kane, Kelly Kelly, Kofi Kingston, Luke Gallows, Matt Hardy, Michelle McCool, MVP, Rey Mysterio, of course, Chad Gaspard. Wow, I haven't seen him on TV in weeks. I actually thought they may have released him, but guess not. The Undertaker and Vance Archer. Now, in, rela- in relation to the downloadable content, they said that the following will be coming out during the holiday season uh, for the downloadable content. One, you're going to be getting David Hart, Davy Boy Smith as WWE legend, David Atunga from Nexus, Justin Gabriel from Nexus, Layla, Lex Luger, which is which is actually kind of cool, and Wade Barrett. So you can expect that next month. Activision announced recently that Wu-Tang Clan founder RZA and his likeness will be used in DJ Hero 2, along with two exclusive mixes. The two tracks that are being mixed and produced by RZA feature LL Cool J. Uh, the first track is I Can't Live Without My Radio, mixed with Grandmaster Flash and the Fur- Furious Five's The Message, and Damian Marley's Welcome to Jamrock, mixed with Walter Murphy's A Fifth of Beethoven. Of course, DJ Hero 2 will be coming out October 16th, uh, well, October 19th, sorry, on Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, and the Wii. Now, I wish that I had um, a couple of the Armed Forces members in the chat because I really would have loved to hear from them for this particular bit of news. It seems that the Army and Air Force Exchange Services have confirmed that none of their stores will be selling the reboot of Medal of Honor. This is due to the fact that players can assume the role of Taliban freedom fighters in the game. GameStop, which has 49 locations included in the ban, had the following to say. GameStop fully supports AAFES in this endeavor and is sensitive to the fact that in multiplayer mode, one side will assume the role of the Taliban fighters. EA had no comment, and the reboot for Medal of Honor will be out October 12th. Now, like, I understand that people can be offended, but you know, 
on the same on the same note, there's been countless games where you've played as terrorists against our American armed forces, and there's never been this you know any kind of a huge outcry. Uh, to, to to say that this is the first time that this is happening, it, it's a little bit disheartening just because I'm more than sure that the armed forces just want to play the game. They don't care that you can play as the Taliban in multiplayer. It doesn't matter. And who knows, maybe some of them might even want to do that. I think that to assume, to make such a blanket, uh, to make such a blanket decision without hearing the feedback from the armed forces is, you know, especially from, from our men and women who, who are fighting for our country is unfortunate because I'm more than sure that most of them would have had no problem playing the game whether the Taliban was in it or not. I mean, you play Call of Duty, you play SOCOM, you play all that shit, and there are instances where you do play as terrorists. Hell, there's even been games where you play as Nazis. It's just the way shit is. I find it a little bit unfortunate that it's gone down that road, but it is what it is. But, uh, you know, I'm definitely going to pose this in the Facebook fan page and possibly in the forum as well, because I really would like to hear from some of our listeners that are in the armed forces to gauge their opinion on the matter and to see if they're really, if they really are offended that the Taliban is being represented in Medal of Honor. Definitely want to hear that for sure from our listeners that are in the armed forces. Duke Nukem. Everybody thought he was in limbo after the whole big issue with the rights to his character. Guess not. 2K Games made the official announcement that the game is being finished by Gearbox Software and will be released within the next year. Gearbox, of course, is known for making their recent title, Borderlands. A playable demo of Duke Nukem was supposedly available to the press and the public at PAX. Definitely excited for seeing a a new Duke Nukem, of course, that being Duke Nukem Forever. And um, it's just Duke Nukem is one of those characters he's – He's just a he's just a part of fucking gaming history. He's such a such a randomly weird and wacky character with fucking pig cops and all kinds of shit. Um, definitely want to know that for sure. Needless to say, I'm excited for it because I haven't played a Duke Nukem game in years, and um, definitely would like to see how Gearbox approaches it and how they do the Duke Nukem name justice for sure. For those of you looking forward to Dead Space 2, EA actually dropped a couple of details about multiplayer mode. Players will either will control either soldiers, um, similar to the lead character Isaac or Necromorphs. That gels with what EO, with EA CEO uh, John Rossello said about the multiplayer being innovative. The move, the, this mode will not only be uh, multiplayer mode in the game, but there are other modes to come as well. In addition, EA dropped a little bit of information regarding the pre-order bonuses. Anyone who pre-orders the game is going to be getting the downloadable prequel, Dead Space Ignition, for free. GameStop customers will also be getting an in-game rivet gun. You can expect Dead Space 2, January 25th. In a little bit of tech news slash gaming news, of course, this uh, past week was the Apple event where they unveiled the iOS 4.1 software update, which has a ton of new features, first off. Apple slowly making its way into the gaming space released their version of what I'd like to call Xbox Live, called the Game Center for supported titles. Users are going to be able to send and receive friends request, friend requests as well as invite friends to multiplayer games over the internet. Multiplayer games can be set up by auto matching with other players. In addition to that, you're going to get leaderboards and achievements. Gee, sounds similar, doesn't it? Nonetheless, other features you're going to get with iOS 4.1 include HDR photos on the iPhone 4, 
support for TV show rentals on iTunes and the ability to upload HD videos to YouTube and MobileMe over Wi-Fi for the iPhone 4. In addition to that, iPhone 4 users are going to be able to get FaceTime calling directly from their favorites list, and you're also going to be getting AVRCP-supported accessories, such as, which will include next and previous track control. Of course, there's going to be some bug fixes for the proximity sensor, um, fixes for the iPhone 3G, Nike iPod Plus fixes, and Bluetooth improvements. Uh, iOS 4.1 is going to be compatible with the iPhone 4, 3GS, iPhone 3G, and second-generation or later iPod Touches. For the Game Center add-on, you're going to need the iPhone 4, the iPhone 3GS, or the iPod Touch second-generation. Of course, you can get that download off of iTunes. Now, when I saw the Game Center announcement, I was definitely, definitely impressed with seeing uh, Apple throw its hat, so to speak, a little bit more into, into the gaming realm. And a lot of people, of course, are going to be pissed off that Apple's trying to come in and encroach on the gaming and blah, 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 this, that, and the third. But the fact of the matter is that them pushing their way into the gaming space helps because it allows companies like Nintendo and Sony to step their game up and, you know, maybe borrow an idea or two that Apple may have done a really good job with. I really think that the online component, especially for Nintendo, has always been and remains severely weak. I mean, especially for the Wii with player matching and friend codes and all this shit, I've always felt that that's very weak. And the fact that, that Apple is introducing something so simple as player matching with this new update and it's expanding it from phones to iPods is opening up a whole new level of gameplay in terms of just casual gaming. Not only that, but it also opens it for major publishers to actually try their hand at putting a couple of their major titles on the iPhone. I think uh, multiplayer death matches with first-person shooter games are something that would be interesting to see, especially with the iPhone and the fact that they showcased the Unreal 4 engine running on the iPhone and the iPod Touch during the announcement shows that Apple is quietly and slowly sneaking into the gaming industry, and when they do, they're going to put a chokehold on Sony, they're going to choke Sony out, and they're going to become the number two publisher if Sony doesn't step their game up, which I will be discussing later on in the broadcast with a statement from Kaz Harai about the PSP Go for sure. 250 gig Xbox with Connect as a bundle. Guess what? November 4th, $399. You get a 250 gig slim console, the Connect device, and a copy of Connect Adventures. Buying that bundle, you're going to save you're going to save $50 if you were to buy the 360, uh, the 360 slim and the Connect separately. So definitely something to look forward to. November 4th is the date for you to get the Connect bundle with the 360 with the 260-gig version of the 360. EA Sports MMA, finally going to be dropping a demo September 28th for the 360 and the PlayStation 3. I definitely am looking forward to it just to see if they did any, uh, they did away with the rubbery look to the fighters. The demo is going to include the Fight Now, the Fight Now feature. To jump right in, four fighters are available across two weight classes. You're going to get Alistair Overeem and Bobby Lashley. And for middleweights, you're going to get uh, Jake Shields and Jason Mayhem Miller. How fitting. The demo will also offer four different skill levels and the option to learn via MMA 101, which is going to be an interactive tutorial featuring Jake Shields and Mayhem. By sharing the demo with other Xbox Live friends, you can unlock 
classic Randy Couture as a playable character. So if you do download the demo, uh, definitely recommend it to a couple of friends, and you'll be able to get the classic Randy Couture for sure. Last bit of uh, Kinect news, and I'm actually really intrigued to see this. There was a feature for the Kinect that was announced in 2009 that has been delayed leading up to Kinect's launch. During the debut trailer for the device, Microsoft said that Kinect would be able to scan a real object held in front of it and use it in a game. However, the feature, the feature will now be available later on. This was the statement regarding the removal of that feature, or I should say the delay of it. Being able to digitize real-world objects and take them into the virtual world, we saw a little bit of that at E3 last year, but it's not stuff that we have in any of the launch games right now. And I think we're going to see a lot more games start using that as we go forward. Uh, kudos to Noda said. He's the uh, lead Connect developer. There's no word if developers simply don't want to include this in their launch titles or if Microsoft just hasn't finalized it yet. Either way, look for something like this to be coming down the pipe in a patch real soon. Now, something I definitely wanted to discuss this month, NPD numbers for the month of August. Let's talk hardware first. Xbox 360 was the winner for the month of August, 356,700 units sold. The Nintendo DS, close second, 342,700. The Wii, 244,300 units sold, outselling the PS3, which sold 226,000. Meanwhile, hanging down at the bottom, the PSP sold 79,400 units. So the 360 outsold the Wii by well over 100,000 units. But at this point, Nintendo's just, just standing pat and just hanging out, knowing that the holiday season is coming, and they're going to be able to move some more units with whatever new IPs they toss out during November, um, during the later month of October or November. I think that definitely the 360 spike can be attributed to the new, more reliable 360 Slim. But Sony may be creeping up because you got the Move, the, P, the PlayStation Move coming out this month. So the, the Wii might be dropping another spot next month. Now, in relation to the PlayStation Move, I put up a poll on the My Take Radio fan page that you can click on the Polls and Quizzes tab on the wall, and you can vote on what you think will be the top-selling title or item for the month of September. It's either going to be Halo Reach or the PlayStation Move or um, what the hell else did I put in there? I believe it may have been, what the hell was it? Shit. Nonetheless, just stop by the fan page and check out the poll, because I don't have it in front of me, and I wrote that at, like, fucking 9 a.m. this morning, half asleep. Let's talk a little bit of software MPD numbers. Of course, it's a no-brainer that Madden took the number one and number two spots, 920,800 units on the uh, 360 and 893,600 units on the PS3. Super Mario Galaxy 2 just won't die. 124,600 units. Mafia 2 got outsold by Mario on the 360, 121,600. New Super Mario Brothers on the DS, 110,400. Rounding it out in the number six spot, new Super Mario Brothers Wii, which outsold Mafia 2 for the PS3 in the number seven slot. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 in the number eight slot. NCAA Football 11 in the number 9, and in the number 10 slot, Wii Fit Plus. How crazy is that that just old-ass Nintendo titles are still just whooping ass? Definitely ridiculous for sure. 
Now for those that little bit of PSP news I was talking about. Kaz Harai, of course, once in a while likes to make these little statements, and when I hear them, I just want to find him wherever he is and shake the shit out of him and tell him, dude, I told you so. I told you the shit wouldn't work. Needless to say, he admitted to MCV that the $250 pricing point for the PSP Go perhaps can be blamed for the PSP Go's unimpressive sales thus far. He stated, I think we need to make sure we have as many titles available to download as possible to make the experience as easy as possible, but also pricing is perhaps an issue. Because of the cost reductions we've been able to do over the years, the traditional PSP has benefited, but the PSP Go is a completely different design, so the cost trend is different. To put it in another way, when Sony took out the part that makes it play all the PSP games you already own, it made it very expensive. Or to put it even simpler, they only hit you because they love you so much. If Sony really wanted to capture the situation, it'd make an ad where, you know, the way I see it, you got to either do one of two things, either totally redesign the PSP and reintroduce it with a strong marketing campaign because the market's PSP ads, not working. You, you need to do something brand new. And not only that, but you need to have enough titles that make people want to go and buy these units. The DS has Pokemon franchise, Mario franchise, you know, you got a 3DS coming, the price point for the games are attractive. Needless to say, Kaz arrived backpedaling. He says, oh, nobody wants to pay $249 for a portable. Nope, they don't. Because the regular PSP at $169, perfectly fine. If you would have made the PSP go $175 or $180 and made that the only console, the numbers would have been more favorable, especially if you would have put great first-party titles out there. Unfortunately, you want to put out something that's smaller and cuter and cooler and expect people to pay a premium for it when you can get the same enjoyment out of the regular PSP that you pay $169 for. Way to own up and admit that you fucked up, Kaz Harai. Nice work. That wraps up the game news for this week. I'm going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to talk some movies right after this. I wonder what's on tonight, even. Tonight at 10 on your local news. I said to Jesus, Jesus, can you say this is the deal of the century, people? I'm telling you. So, Jason, uh, what, what, I mean, what, what are we doing tonight? Tumbling with Tumbleweed, Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. Blogtalkradio.com, Eastern Standard Time. Do you even know? Jason? Jason, are you there? All right, we're back. Let's talk some movies. First off, Ridley Scott actually decided to uh, share a little bit of information with the masses about the prequel to the classic sci-fi film Alien. Needless to say, he said the following. The film will be really tough and really nasty. It's the dark side of the moon. We're talking about gods and engineers, engineers of space, and, and were the aliens designed as a form of biological warfare? Or did the biology just go out of its way to clean up the planet? In addition to that, he said that he wanted to explore the origins of the aliens and make sure that it raises the bar for the franchise. I think that Ridley Scott being involved definitely is a step in the right direction for the franchise overall. I think that the, the necessity to want to go darker and go back to the roots is very important. I mean, don't get me wrong, one of the, one of the 
things that has always been touched upon in comics and in graphic novels and in regular books is where the aliens come from, what their home world is like, how do they adapt, how do they, you know, how are they the dominant species on their home world, what kind of a food supply do they have. It should be interesting to see if they elaborate on that sort of stuff because it, it does open up a lot of questions. I just really hope that it meshes in well with the regular alien movies that have already been out. There's got to definitely be some acknowledgement of Ellen Ripley. You definitely got to get Lance Heinrichsen in there to play another android, especially like an early version of Bishop or, or something, just because that way it starts tying the franchise together. I don't really see any harm in them doing a prequel to Alien, especially with Ridley Scott being involved. I just hope that they do it right. They don't try and jump on the 3D bandwagon, and they make sure that it maintains the R rating that it's always been known for, and they don't try to do no, no pretty, soft PG-13 shit. Because if they do that, it is destined for fucking failure, and people are just going to turn on the franchise. For those of us that enjoyed The Expendables, director's cut coming out in six months, according to Stallone. In addition to that, there will be a documentary called Inferno, The Making of Expendables, which is expected to be the same as the name of the documentary, and it's going to feature all sorts of behind-the-scenes stuff, including the scene with Stallone and Steve Austin where things went wrong and Stallone ended up having to be hospitalized because Stone Cold nearly broke his neck. Stallone is currently recording DVD commentary for the movie, and when approached about a sequel, he said, I'm thinking that it would be something more dangerous, and I'd really like Bruce Willis to be involved, and I'd like him to be the supervillain of the movie. Of course, for those of you that saw The Expendables, you know that Bruce Willis was the guy that sent uh, Sylvester Stallone and his crew on the mission that encompassed the plot of The Expendables. I think that wanting to do a sequel is was a no-brainer, especially because they didn't pay a lot to make it, and the movie has been successful. I just hope that they don't try and just go over the top with it, and before you know it, it's like Expendables 5 and shit within three years. I think that definitely including Bruce Willis in a more major role is definitely a step in the right direction. I think that expanding the, Exp the Expendables roster would be interesting. Maybe you kill off a guy or two. Maybe the one or two guys get captured, and you've got to bring in new members to help free some of the older members. Definitely awesome for sure. There could be tons of casting choices that can be done. You can go with, you know, Dolph Lundgren, for instance, and Terry Crews' characters being captured. You know, right there, boom, you bring in two new characters. I would actually like to see The Rock join the Expendables cast. I think that he has good screen presence. He has a good amount of humor. Not only that, but his, you know, his dedication to the action genre definitely needs a shot in the arm. And I think his involvement with a project like The Expendables would be badass for sure. Uh, definitely got to acknowledge Slick in there, and he said that Wesley Snipes would be good. Definitely got to agree with that. Wesley Snipes would be interesting for sure. Um, Jackie Chan involvement would be fantastic. I would actually like to go with Tony Joss just because he has a real interesting dynamic and a really cool fighting style to, to the whole thing. Definitely interesting for sure. Um, you can even make Tony Jaw an enforcer and have him versus Jet Li. I think people would go fucking crazy for shit like that. It would be badass for sure. Um, of course, a no-brainer throwing Danny Trejo in there, um, especially after Machete. It would, be, it would be cool to see that, but who knows? But I can tell you for sure that The Expendables 2 is going to happen. Now, the What the Fuck news comes early this week with an article, and you can take this completely as a rumor, 
because it's based on something that came out of the National Enquirer. But a couple of main places picked it up, and it's picked up. A, a, it's gotten a bit of steam. So take a deep breath, you guys, when I read this to you. You know, feel free to call in and share your 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 take on this particular bit of news. According to the National Enquirer, Eminem, get this, listen carefully, Eminem has told his representatives that he wants to play the role of the Riddler in the next Batman movie. <sighs> deep breath, folks, deep breaths. Eminem, Riddler, Batman flick. I don't know how true it is. It's, it's very speculative. Take it with a grain of salt. But let it sink in. Eminem as the Riddler in the next Batman movie. He's competing against guys that are rumored to be in it, like Johnny Depp or Joseph Gordon-Levitt, are front runners for the role. Eminem would be considered a long shot, but stranger things have happened. And considering that the story's coming out of the fucking National Enquirer, who knows? But here's, here's something very interesting. And, 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 you know, work with me for a second. Eminem did a, a, really, a, a pretty good job in 8 Mile. Don't get me wrong, he was playing himself. Now, let's think outside of the box for a second. What if, what if Eminem played the character of Edward Nigma? Let's think of the Riddler character. Likes to do riddles, likes to set traps. You can actually do it if you make the Riddler a, a darker-toned character. And it's just a matter of incorporating the riddle aspect with an actor like Eminem, because if you go dark and you want to do riddles and quirky shit, you get Johnny Depp for shit like that. But I don't know, man. I I think it can work, but just it has to be written a certain way, and he can't wear any fucking fruity-ass costume with question marks. Like, you can definitely do the question mark thing, but he, he can't wear no spandex question mark suit. It's just not going to work. It's going to look like, you know, like when he plays fucking Robin from Gatman and Robin in any of his videos. Definitely not on that level, but... I'm really intrigued, really intrigued to see something like that. I mean, when you were talking about Liam Neeson as Ross Al Ghul, a lot of people weren't 100% sold on the concept. He did a really good job. Nolan, when he cast Heath Ledger as the Joker, people were really, really, really concerned about shit like that. Now, doing it with, with an actor like Eminem, I mean, Dark Helmet says that, you know, the Riddler's a freaking genius. True. But you got to also look at it as if you want to make it a more realistic, a more gritty approach, maybe you want to tweak the Riddler character a little bit. I'm not telling you to make the, the, the Riddler character a rapper or something, but definitely maybe do something that allows him to go down that path. Again, just, I'm just entertaining the concept, just throwing ideas out there. But let's take some calls. Slick is going to start us off. Slick, what do you got? Yeah, what's up, man? What's the What's the story, dude? Um, you know, first I was I was calling when you were talking about you know the possibility of expanding the the Expendables roster because um they definitely would need to do something with a sequel because you know they're gonna make one. Absolutely. Like like I said, I, I just as much as I like the characters, 
I wasn't feeling the the chemistry between Stallone and Statham. I just didn't see it. I mean, maybe they need to pair them up with other people, but definitely The Rock would would definitely be someone, especially when you have Stone Cold as a bad guy. Well, well, you don't have Stone Cold as a bad guy anymore, but... (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But, but, no, I understand exactly what you're saying. I think that The Rock has, has good screen presence to be alongside those guys. Not only that, but it would it would be it would be a good it would be a good fit for him. I think if you take somebody like I mean they're already doing it with the with fast with Fast Five, but you know you take a, a Vin Diesel, a Rock, you throw him in there, you know with uh, with um you know a Tony Ja, um, Chuck Norris if you got to get real crazy like like somebody was saying, you know you can go that route and throw some of those guys in there, and you could definitely do some damage. You know you throw in Michael Jai White in there. Scott Adkins, you know, you could throw Ray Park in there. There's so many ways you can do it and make a, a shitload of money, and, you know, especially if you choreograph some really great fights. Dude, in a second Expendables movie, I have no problems with that. Yeah, me either. I mean, it's, it's a good summer flick. And actually, since, I mean, even with the cast they had, just about everybody in there was talking shit to everybody else. I think yep. if they had, like, the Rock and Wesley Snipes, that's like that shit that writes itself right there. Yeah, that would that would going be, at it. That would be if great. They're going at it physically like, and verbally. That's perfect right there. I would definitely have to look at it from there. When you're casting these guys, you got to look at it like this. You need one. You need the one main bad guy, which Eric Roberts did a great job. Then you need his right hand man, and then a and then a third tier right hand man. Now, if you're gonna do somebody like Bruce Willis as your bad guy. I, and, and Bruce Willis is a shit talker. I would I would go the extra step, dude, and do Bruce Willis, Michael Clark Duncan as his third as his third, and The Rock as his secondary bad guy. Just a just a bad guy that talks shit and just cracks jokes. I think it would work, man. And definitely a villainous turn for The Rock. I mean, he kind of leaned in that direction when he did Doom. But I think him as a, as a secondary, as a number two bad guy for the Expendables would be fucking badass. It definitely would be some, something the crowd wouldn't exactly expect because you hear the rock, you'd be like, oh, he, he's one of the Expendables. No, he's one of the bad guys. That's it. I would, I would definitely like to see that. It would, it would definitely be, it would be interesting to see that pan out. And above all, Again, it's just expanding the scope of some of these actors. I mean, maybe you want to see a little bit more of Mickey Rourke getting his hands dirty this time, you know? Or, like, like I said, if you want to get crazy, throw Chuck Norris in there. Like, imagine imagine Chuck Norris as, like, the main, main bad guy. Like, imagine if Bruce Willis is the bad guy. He walks into a room to talk to, you know, the people that he says he's connected to, and his fucking boss is Chuck Norris. I think people would fucking shit themselves. <laughs> that that would definitely work. I mean, Stallone probably needs to to listen to a few ideas from fans because, I mean, looking at the the making of the movie, I actually enjoyed the like watching clips of the making of the movie more than I enjoyed the movie. And I mean, that's not terrible, but that's not really a good thing. Well, the documentary that's coming out, you know, is definitely going to be enjoyable. I definitely am intrigued to see what else they can blow up in the director's cut. 
that oh. in and of it that in and of itself has has you know has piqued my interest for sure. I guess we'll have to wait and see, man. But um, that's all I got for right now. I'll probably give a call back in a little while. You got it, brother. Thanks for the call. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Caller, you're on the air. Yo, it's in. What's up, dude? Uh, just calling in about that whole Eminem Riddler thing. All right. Let's hear, let's hear it, because I know... I know you're a stickler for a lot of shit, dude. And I know that you may have heard it and been like, what the fuck? But what do you got, man? No, actually, 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 I never heard it. And, like, I, you're just, like, blowing my mind with this news or this rumor anyway. But I was just thinking about it now for, for a few minutes. And I was thinking back. Now, if they were to make it more realistic and, and like, darker, like no one's been doing for the whole series, I'm thinking Riddler might end up being more like a Jigsaw-type character. Like lead, leading Batman in, into a trap that he, ha- that he has to use, use his mind to get himself out of, and like when I think about something like that, I think about the Saw series. Yeah, that. And like Eminem, is good as for. No, go ahead. I know. I was saying that that's a fucking awesome spin on it, man. Go ahead. Yeah, but I was saying like Eminem, as we've seen in Eight Mile and like in some of his lyrics writing, like he's he's good at like putting emotion into stuff, so. I can see like how when when they finally get a confrontation between like uh, Batman and and Riddler, it would be so, like some kind of emotional like whiny fest. I mean, I, I know that Riddler is not really a, a fighter as much as he's just a, a genius. So it'd be more like you'd see Eminem put some some emotion into the character and kind of weaseling his way out of a fight. Because I, I don't I don't see anyone that Eminem could ever play actually fighting Christian Bale in a Batman suit. But I can yeah, see I him writing lyrics and, and, and turn those lyrics into riddles. Yep, that's exactly it. Because, you know, if you want to incorporate something more modern, we all know a friend or two that want to be rappers. And, you know, we all know a friend or two who, when they write their rap, they really have like a, like a dark, you know, methodical uh, type of vibe to them. And I think that if you go that route, especially when you want to go into what's been happening in the newer Batman movies where, you know, you've got the slums in Gotham City and stuff like that, if you were to go in that direction and, you know, go into, like, you know, the real criminal areas and this one guy, you know, he outshines everybody else and something traumatic happens and it makes him fucking nuts, and you do that, like you said, and you go, like, the jigsaw route where, you know, people are, are being put in these predicaments and these riddles that Batman has to solve are the only way to free them from dying. You know, and crazy shit like that, I think it would really work. And, and for Eminem to play a tortured character like that, it would, I, I think, man, that would be something that would, it would be like the Heath Ledger Joker thing, man. It would turn the world on its fucking head, dude. Yeah, not even that, but, like, I'm thinking back now to, to Dark Knight, scene where, where it's either Rachel or it's, uh, like, Harvey Dent. No, it's Rachel or... Yeah, whatever the scene was, like, it's been a long time, but, like, whatever it was, they were, they were in a, a warehouse with all these, like, canisters of gasoline. Now, I'm thinking, if they were to use the same kind of warehouse set, but, like, I guess go into lower levels, then you could have, like, a, a, a maze or something that Batman would have to go into and follow riddles to be able to save, I guess, whoever would be the new, new racial character or maybe even save Alfred or something. Yeah, I think, I think it would, I think it could work, man. I mean, you know, when you read casting like this, like when I heard Johnny Depp, I'm like, that's a no fucking brainer. He's good for quirky shit. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, another one, good for quirky shit. He has that that Heath Ledger, you know, talented actor vibe that needs that one role to break him out. 
you know, but what if you what if you want to go a totally random route? Like, I entertained it for a minute, and I said, you know what? This couldn't be the worst thing. You know, now, if you told me that, you know, Justin Bieber is playing Robin, I'd blow my fucking brains out. Yeah. You know? but, <laughs> but, but, you know, when, when you're looking at a character that you, and you're looking at the actors that are going to portray him, sometimes it's the quality of the actor that might, that might set that character apart from everybody else. Don't get me wrong. The, the Riddler has always been a pussy in the comic books. And then over the yeah. years, kind of stepped his game up. But if you want to go that route and you want to go with, like, a, a tortured, more, you know, more fucking just totally random shit, Eminem might have the chops to pull it off, dude. Yeah, like this is, but when you first said it, I was like, no way. Because like, I, I, the first thing I thought of was how much I hate Eminem. But then I went back and actually analyzed, like, what is Eminem? And I was like, okay, he can write lyrics. Okay, lyrics, all the riddles from the Riddler were, were like, pretty much sing-songy. Okay, we got that. Now, if we bring it to Dark Edge, we've got the Saul routine going. Now, what, I, what I'm hoping that they do, if they do do it that way, is that they don't spend the whole, like, the whole movie on just the one maze. Like, they have, they have to put a spin on it. So I'm, ho- I'm hoping that there's more than just, like, Batman being suddenly, like, finding himself having to go into a maze and the whole movie is, like, Saul 6 or something. It would be it would be interesting if, if they go that route. I mean, I'm gonna definitely be watching this. I'm a, I'm a fan of this new Batman franchise, so definitely something to look forward to for sure, man. But you opened my eyes with with going like the jigsaw route, like like the real sadistic behind the scenes kind of a deal. I mean, they did that with the Joker, and you don't have to get overly violent because that was the that was the beauty of how they did the Joker in this movie. He was he was a, a, a madman. He killed people because motherfuckers got killed in, in the Dark Knight. But they did it in such a way that you're like, oh, he's dead. And you knew the person was dead, but they didn't, you know, they didn't elaborate. You didn't need any kind of crazy, gory shit. You just knew that it went down. If you do that with the Riddler character, a lot of people will be like, eh, it's a, it's a rehash of the Joker. But it's all about the presentation and delivery, man. And Nolan hasn't let us down so far. Yeah, like, if you think about the ending to Dark Knight, like, Joker was caught. Like, at the end of it all, Joker was just caught, and they, and they brought him in off, off screen. So I'm assuming that... Joker's going to be in Arkham Asylum. We're never going to see him again in, in the series, especially since this new bat, this last movie is going to be. Well, this Batman movie is going to be probably the last one. So I'm thinking if they go with the, with the Riddler route, they would have to end it with with the Riddler just getting away as Batman's getting out of whatever predicament the Riddler put him in. Like Riddler, I can't see Riddler getting caught or getting possibly killed because Riddler's too smart for that. Like he's a pussy. He won't fight Batman, but he'll but he'll do as much as he can to torture him. Well, you know what? You can even go the route where, you know, the Riddler character's already an inmate at Arkham Asylum, and, you know, he's, he's sharing, uh, you know, they, they have him next to the Joker, and you can even, you know, use a little bit of Heath Ledger's voice, and, you know, him just, like, talking to the, to the, you know, to the inmate, and, you know, kind of putting him on the path to become the Riddler. You know, kind of like how he put Harvey Dent on the path to become Two-Face. I mean, the, the possibilities with that are endless. And you, and you can even do that, you know, a nice bit of a, of a, you know, tribute to Heath Ledger and the Joker character. You can just have that and have him, you know, say, you know, when, when the Riddler escapes, just be like, let's see how Batman handles this guy or something, you know, something really cool, and it'll help, you know, set the tone for the rest of the movie. Yeah, i got to go back and actually, like, find out more on Riddler's story because the only thing I really know about Riddler's character is from what I saw on the Adam West TV show, and from what I saw in, what was it, Batman Forever? So I, don't, I haven't really read the comics or, or seen, him, seen him in the cartoon series to know. But from, if I'm right, then 
Edward Nigma was a former employee of, of Wayne Enterprises. So I'm thinking that that, that should be the, should still be the case. Like something happens with, with him getting getting fired from Wayne Enterprises, and he just wants revenge, and and that's where it should start. And I don't I don't think that Riddler should should end up. I don't think he should come from Arkham Asylum as as a student of Joker. I think he should be sent to Arkham Asylum, and then that's where he meets the Joker, and the Joker will probably like tell him, "This is what you did wrong, and and this is this is how you can do it better." And then that could lead into a possible sequel if they want to do that again. Yeah, I think I think that going that route is definitely going to be what's going to help set that set those movies along. You know, one of the things that made the Batman movies good were the subtle nods to continuity. So. Like you said, man, fucking Ant, you got some good ideas. I will tell you this. The Riddler started coming into his own during the Batman Hush storyline. So if you got a, you know, if you want to look at a good reference point on where the Riddler is kind of now in the game, that's a good way, that's a good set of books to read for that. Yeah, I've been looking for more books to read, and, and I've been trying to shy away from the DC series, but, like, everyone keeps talking about Hush, and I'm like, uh, maybe I should give in and buy it. Yeah, well, Hush, Hush, no, was, a, Hush was a good Hush was a good series, and you know it, it it did a really great job of introducing a new character. Not only that, but Jim D Jim Lee did a badass job. So, oh, that's a good recommendation. Then I'm probably gonna go get it like something this week. All right, dude. Anything else? Don't to have say? No, that's it. Besides, this, I wanted to make throw one poke in at sales for software, and the fact that pretty much the whole month of August was like Little Italy month. Because you had Mafia and you had all the Mario games pretty much sweeping the floor. Yep, it's it was crazy. You know, it's crazy, dude, that the that so many so many of those Mario games are in the top ten for August, man. Like we were talking about that last month when I told you that Madden was going to take it, which was a no brainer. But so much fucking Mario in there. It's definitely uh, August was the month of pasta for sure. Yeah, for seriously, and like what I don't really understand is how does Mario like New Super Mario's for DS like rate so high? Because, like, it's been out for, what, a year and a half now? Two years? Right. Well, the funny part is that New Super Mario Brothers on the DS and New Super Mario Brothers on the Wii outsold the PlayStation 3 version of Mafia 2. <laughs> wow. You know, like, that, like that's, a, that's ridiculous in and of itself. Yeah, I just can't believe that. I don't really have much else to say, though, so I'll let you take another call or do whatever, whatever you got to do. Well, I'll tell you this, though. We'll see how it pans out next month with the PlayStation Move and Halo Reach. It should be interesting to see those numbers next month. Oh, God. Here we go. I'll, I'll wait and see. Yeah, you got it, brother. Thanks for the call. All right. Have a good night. Later. All right. Let's talk some box office totals. George Clooney's The American, which I'm I'm shocked, opened at number one. $12.9 million on what the box office called a slow Labor Day weekend. It made $16.1 million since its opening on Wednesday. Number two was Takers, dropped to its number two spot from number one last week, bringing in $11.5 million. It's made $37.9 million total on a $32 million budget. Not surprised for an ensemble film, especially with, with a semi-decent plot. So where it placed, eh, the fact that it did better than, than Machete bugs me out because – you know, $11.3 million, definitely a good start. It had a budget of $25 million. I definitely don't see it cracking the top three again because you got Resident Evil coming out this weekend, full IMAX 3D, um, fucking Assault on the Senses. 
Not only that, but you're going to have higher ticket prices for that movie. So that's definitely going to affect the bottom line. And I guarantee you probably number one will be Resident Evil. Possibly um, the American and Takers will battle it out for the number two for the number two and three spot. And maybe, maybe Machete will move up. Maybe it will drop off. We'll see what happens. The, the second week is always sketchy. You know, with Scott Pilgrim, everybody hoped that the second week would be the week that would fucking bring in the money, and we know how that went for sure. So uh, your box office totals, American at number one, Takers, Machete, Last Exorcism, Going the Distance, The Expendables, The Other Guys, Eat, Pray, Love. Number nine was Inception, still holding on $277 million, and Nanny McPhee Returns was number 10. Definitely interesting for sure. Should be, uh... Huh. Slick brought something very interesting to my attention. He has Machete as number two, according to IMDb, with 14.1, and Takers at 13.5. Huh. Well, shit. I'm going to need to... I'm going to need to check my sources and see who's le- who's legit on this, but IMDb is usually solid with this stuff. So if by going with the IMDb numbers, the American was number one, Machete was number two, Takers was three, and The Last Exorcism was four. And, you know, the rest of them were pretty much accurate. Huh. All right, maybe I'll start looking at IMDb as a as a reference instead of my usual sources. And some Marvel movie news. Uh, there were some pictures released recently of a stunt double for the Captain America film in full Captain America costume. I'm more than sure that, mo- that most of you that have seen these pictures are not going to like the way he- the costume looks. Definitely very similar to the Ultimate Captain America. So I may put the picture on the Facebook fan page just because it doesn't really warrant a post, and I'll let you guys decide if it's a good costume or not. Definitely obvious that it's a throwback to you know, World War II, but uh, I don't know. I'll let you guys decide. It'll be on the fan page later on this evening. Nonetheless, Kevin Page actually uh, shared some information about Captain Captain America. When asked about Hugo Weaving as the Red Skull, he said that Hugo Weaving has been in the full Red Skull effect, and he's been in costume a couple of weeks now, and I got to tell you, he's a rather frightening villain. When asked about the Avengers, he said, there's not much I can tell you, but Josh is hard at work with the script, and we've hired most of our crew. They're looking to design and build and prepare for when we start filming next year. So, with that said, the Avengers is coming together. Hugo Weaving is supposedly really creepy as the Red Skull. Uh, There's supposed to be some pictures of uh, Hugo Weaving in costume released towards the end of the month, which is supposed to be in some promotional stills, which you may see in uh, Entertainment Weekly or one of those magazines. So, we'll see what happens for sure. Um, According to The Hollywood Reporter, NBC is teaming with DreamWorks to create new animated holiday specials for characters from Shrek and Kung Fu Panda. Shrekless will be a Halloween-themed show airing October 28th and will be paired with a replay of Monsters vs. Aliens, Mutant Pumpkins from Outer Space. Shrekless will see Shrek challenge Fiona, Donkey, Puss in Boots, and other fairy tale characters to spend the night in Lord Farquaad's haunted castle telling stories. The Kung Fu Panda Holiday Special will air November 24th, and that's going to be played with Mary Madagascar. In the Kung Fu Panda movie, Poe has to choose between his family obligations and his duty as Dragon Warrior when he's ordered to host a formal winter feast at the Jane Palace. Of course, both of those will probably end up on DVD or Blu-ray and sell a shitload of copies, 
That's just DreamWorks squeezing the blood out of the Shrek franchise and slowly beginning to squeeze the blood out of the Kung Fu Panda franchise for sure. Here, here's a nice little nugget of what the fuck news number two. According to Deadline, Liam Neeson has signed on to join the cast of Battleship, which is terrible. The concept of Battleship we've already discussed, but such a good quality actor like Liam Neeson joining it must show that the script is either really good or they got a lot of fucking money. Nonetheless, Liam Neeson is signed on to play Admiral Shane, whose daughter is going to be played by Brooklyn Decker, is engaged to Taylor Kitsch's character. Alexander Skarsgård will be playing Kitsch's brother, and Rihanna will be playing a fellow crewmate weapons specialist. If you get a chance, type in Rihanna Battleship photo, then you get to see Rihanna in uniform for this disaster of a movie. I, I mean, you know, you got Liam Neeson in there, you have to sell him on something, so I don't know. Here's another bit of rumor mill for you guys to, to chomp at. Canada's Globe and Mail newspaper went to uh, the home of hockey star Mike Comrie, who, of course, is Hillary Duff's new husband, for an interview and noted that there was a script marked Spider-Man on the dinner table with lines for a character simply titled Girl, in quotation marks, highlighted in yellow. Of course, rumors are swirling about a new love interest for Spider-Man in the series' next installment. Nobody knows if the love interest is going to be Betty Brandt, Gwen Stacy, or Felicia Hardy. Uh, rumors are saying that Mary Jane will not be returning for this film. With that said, Hilary Duff in the Spider-Man movies. Translation, Spider-Man for tweens. You have the guy that wrote 500 Days of Summer. You've got this really uh, young Twilight-looking dude playing Peter Parker, and now Hillary Duff is involved. Are the Jonas Brothers going to be the fucking bad guys at this rate? Is Miley going to be in it? Is it going to be Disney Channel Presents Spider-Man? Because not for nothing, Disney fucking bought uh, rights to Marvel, so I wouldn't be surprised. Ugh. I got an idea. Maybe Spider-Man has to save the cast from fucking Camp Rock from being killed by, like, the Green Goblin. Why not? If fucking Hilary Duff is reading for a role, uh, I really hope it's just a rumor. But who knows? Hopefully I'll have more news regarding that in the coming weeks. Jan DeBond, director of Speed, Tomb Crater, uh, Tomb Crater, Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life, is set to direct a li the live-action adaptation of Mulan, which I discussed a couple of episodes back. Of course, the story is the well-known legend of China and has been told on film more than, on more than one occasion, including the Disney animated classic. Zhang Zi from Hero and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon will play the role of Mulan. It's going to be an English, an, an English, an English language production. That was not me trying to joke. That was actually a slip of the tongue. Uh, filming is expected to begin this fall in China. So, Zhang Zi, Mulan, live action, in English. Of course, Machete, number two, according to the IMDb count. But here's the best part. Machete sequels. Robert Rodriguez, of course, ended the movie with a message that said, stay tuned for Machete Kills and Machete Kills Again. And that may not be just a grindhouse joke. He's already saying that he has plans to do two sequels for the exploitation action film, and it's already in the advanced stages. He said, and I quote, Machete doesn't joke. It felt like it needed something when the music kicked in, kicked in, so I wrote those written trails into the ending just a few days before I finished editing the movie. We made the trailer to Machete not knowing if there will be a movie afterwards, 
and then people came after us and said, where is the movie? So if people come after us and say, where's the sequels, we'll need to get right on it. Rodriguez, of course, is now working on Spy Kids 4, so it could be a little bit of a delay before we see Machete again on screens. Of course, with, all, with, a, with a $20 million budget and making a decent number of bank and a lot of great critical acclaim for Danny Trejo, I wouldn't be surprised if we see those sequels sooner rather than later. Of course, earlier in the, in the segment, we talked about the Expendables. Now, let's, in, let's entertain this. How about an Expendables-type movie, but with horror movie actors? Still with me? This is the brainchild of Evil Dead star Bruce Campbell. And here's the explanation. In a recent interview, Evil Dead star Bruce Campbell said he's looking to make the Expendables of horror films. He's entitling it Bruce vs. Frankenstein. He says it would be the ultimate guy movie, but for horror fans. He said, I'd like to do it in a style similar to It's a Mad Mad World. I want to get as many horror movie actors that people can't possibly not see the movie. I want to give them other stuff to do. I want to get guys like Kane Hodder or guys like Robert Englund who will be like a tough guy character who knows Taekwondo or something. I want to find out the hidden sides to all these people. Some will play themselves. Some will play characters as well. The iconic character said, and I quote, I may approach Kane Hodder to play Frankenstein. He could be Kane Hodder himself fighting himself as Frankenstein. It could be crazy. It's a silly concocted story that we hope to do maybe in a year or so. He said, right now there's a script, but it kind of blows. we got to work on it. Definitely shooting in Oregon all on stage. It's like the 300 of horror comedies. We want to make it a whole world. Somebody's got to take Frank down for good. I definitely am intrigued as a concept. Bruce Campbell always does really great uh, campy horror flicks. I mean, Bubba Hotep, you know, My Name is Bruce, the Evil Dead movies. Definitely something worth seeing, and it's piqued my interest. I definitely want to see how that's going to be uh, panned out for sure. Well, I want to see how that pans out, I should say. Uh, a couple of other things. Um, according to The Hollywood Reporter, Mark Joseph has optioned the rights to the best-selling books The Crusader and God and Ronald Reagan so that he can adapt it to screen. Really? A movie about Ronald Reagan? Ugh. Did anybody give a fuck about the George Bush movie that we're going to get a movie about Ronald Reagan? Uh, I really I really don't give a shit. I mean, Ronald Reagan is cool and all, and he was, you know, a, a pillar in history, but really, a Ronald Reagan movie? Fuck that. Moving on. Thundercats. Possibly in, possibly in theaters. Possibly CGI. Possibly animated. Possibly coming to screen sooner rather than later. Seems that Tyrese has shown interest in the film, which I put on the Facebook fan page. And in a recent interview with IGN, Mila Jovovich mentioned that she would like to play Chitara in a Thundercats movie. With that being said, I think that her involvement and probably a little bit of Wes Anderson in there, I can see it happening. Personally, if you're going to bring the Thundercats to the silver screen, I would rather see something done in CGI versus using live actors in makeup just because I feel that it just would look really, really stupid unless the makeup is done like Avatar style and you make the Thundercats look it's as cliched as it is, borrowing elements from the Na'vi. If you go that route, I can possibly see it being successful, but if you're going to do totally live action with rubber masks and shit, I think that's not going to work. Well, last week, 
Twilight was back in theaters. Well, the rumor mill, I should say, was that Twilight would be back in theaters. This week, it's true. Twilight Saga Eclipse will be returning to theaters this Friday. God, if it's anywhere near the top ten, I'm going to blow my brains out. Why is it being re-released? Get this, because September, September 10th is the birthday of the character Bella, played by Kristen Stewart. So, because it's the main character Bella's birthday, they're going to re-release this movie in theaters? Are you fucking serious? It's the movie, it's the birthday of a character from a fucking movie, and you're going to re-release it, and here's what's going to happen. Tweens are going to want to see it again, and it's going to fucking eat away at the profits at movies that really need to make money. That's what's going to happen. Ugh, fucking horrible. I, it's, I, I don't know what to do. I, I don't even know how to address that. But I figured you guys would love that. So this coming Friday, the re-release of Twilight in theaters. I see Slick has his hand raised. Boy, do I want to not unmute his mic, because I'm sure he's going to have some gems for us. But we got to go with the show, folks, so let's bring him in. Slick? Yeah. What do you got, I have man? some possibly good news for you. What is that? Twilight coming back to theaters may not do shit, because guess who came back to theaters last Friday? Avatar. Yeah, you didn't see that shit anywhere in the top ten digits. Very true, but it I was, was happy. Limited. I was, was happy as a chicken release. shit. Oh, yeah. Let me release my ass. Everywhere I go, I see that shit advertised. Really? Everybody kept telling me that it was going to be a limited release, which is why I didn't really... You know, give it a lot of merit. Holy shit! Well, that's seeing it. Good I see it down the block from me. I'm looking out my window right now. The freaking what's the name? The the marquee says Avatar. Uh, the freaking place where I saw Machete was playing Avatar. The Green Acres Mall one was playing Avatar. Everything I pass is playing Avatar in 3D with 12 extra minutes of bullshit footage, aka the Rape Me in the Ass edition. Uh, well, you know what the funny part is. And, you know, Helmet acknowledged it in the chat. The hardcore fans may actually make it dent the top ten. How disgusting is that? Imagine the movie comes out for a limited release over the weekend and it dents the top ten. Imagine that shit. Imagine if it cracks the top five. Holy shit, will that be? Will that be a rage rant on the next episode? I don't think it will, though, because, honestly... I think if it was gonna, it would have did it this week, cause it's it's like like take Star Wars, which has been re-released in theaters eight million times. You okay. put that shit in theaters tomorrow, it will be in the top ten by the end of this weekend. Right. Avatar was the biggest selling movie of of 2009, the biggest DVD release. Flash Blu-ray released so far in 2010, and they just put it in theaters. They advertised it everywhere, and it didn't do shit. Well, you know what the funny thing is? I think that... that, No, what I was going to say is that the lead-in for Avatar being re-released is obviously to start generating a buzz for the, you know, rate-me-in-the-ass edition that's coming out on Blu-ray that'll probably be 3D in November, which we've discussed. So I have a feeling that the Twilight Eclipse thing, besides the fact that they're going to make it for Bella's birthday, you know, and be all fucking cute about it, is, is also to generate a buzz for the, uh, you know, for the upcoming DVD and Blu-ray release. 
But don't, like, doesn't everybody, including the people who like Avatar, doesn't everybody hate Bella? Yeah, pretty much. But you know what it is? If it's an excuse for them to go see the movie again, they'll be like, oh, let, let's go see it again. You know, what? I, I don't care that it comes out. I don't give a shit. My big gripe is if it cracks the fucking top ten. That'll be fucked up. That would be fucked up. But, I mean, I think if, if not number one, definitely probably number two, it's probably going to wind up being Resident Evil just because for some reason the Resident Evil movies always make a shitload of money. I'm going to see it just to review it for the site. But I'm probably well, gonna try to see it for six bucks. <laughs> well, I can I can tell you this. I have a feeling that it's gonna definitely be number one or in the top five because if you're doing 3D IMAX, you know that the tickets for that are at least twenty bucks. Yeah, well, I'm gonna skip the IMAX. I'll catch the 3D. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I go see it. Also, I want to go see it in 3D IMAX just because you know the the missus hasn't hasn't seen a, an IMAX movie yet. But um, the whole movie, here's the funny thing, and, it, and it's funny that you bring it up. The whole movie was shot with the intention of it being in full-fledged 3D. It wasn't like, oh, we're going to do one or two gimmicky shots. They shot the whole movie from the ground up with the intention of it being 3D, which in a way gives me hope in terms of the implementation of the special effects, just because it wasn't like what they did with Clash of the Titans where they forked you know, the fucking 3D in there, post-production. Like, they actually went to great lengths to shoot the whole movie in 3D. Yeah, I mean, you can tell that just from watching the trailers. Yep. Because, I mean, even though you're watching it in 2D, you can see where you're going to see, like, 3D effects with the freaking the ninja stars, the axe, the sunglasses, which I don't understand, and the, the knives getting kicked at them and all shit like that. Her jumping off the building and, you know, jumping down the elevator shaft. You can tell, like, those scenes are going to be in 3D, so at least it looks like it's not going to look like shit. I agree. Definitely not. But we'll see. We'll look at those box office totals next week for sure. Basically. Anything else you got to add, my friend? No, I'm good, man. All right, dude. Thanks again. I'll talk to you later. Later. All right, last bit of movie news to start wrapping things up. NBC Universal has made a deal with Stephen King to make a movie trilogy and TV series out of the Dark Tower. They will be produced together. Ron Howard, Akiva Goldsman, and Brian Grazer, the team behind The Da Vinci Code and A Beautiful Mind, are behind the adaptation. The film will come out first. Then there will be a TV series in between the first and second films. The same thing will happen between the second and third films. No dates have been announced but it's believed that it's going to take place over three consecutive years. So the Dark Tower to the big screen and to the small screen. Don't know if I'm completely against that or not. I mean, the Dark Tower series was really cool, and it seems that they want to take a really innovative approach by doing TV and, and big screen at the same time. Let's see if it takes off. Moving on. Jeremy Renner recently stated that him and Numi Rapace, who's in the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, will start in the Paramount film Hensel and Gretel Witch Hunters. I'm not joking. Hensel and Gretel Witch Hunters. Tommy Ricola, who did Dead Snow, will direct the film, which will take place 15 years after the siblings' incident at the Gingerbread House. The two are now specialized bounty hunters 
who are looking to put down the, the cackling black hat set. No filming date is set, but Renner's schedule is pretty busy as he has Mission Impossible 4 and the Avengers coming up. So, yeah, Hansel and Gretel, bounty hunters, with the guy who made Dead Snow possibly directing. Uh, I don't know. It, it, it sounds amusing, but really? Hansel and Gretel, witch hunters? It's like fucking supernatural. It, 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 it's, it's like... Hans Christian and it's not it's like Brothers Grimm Supernatural. I almost said Hans Christian Anderson. Brothers Grimm Supernatural. Uh. All right. Well, last two bit of movie news. In a recent interview, artist Brendan McCarthy stated that Disney and Pixar are considering bringing a CGI Doctor Strange movie to the silver screen. According to McCarthy, he had a meeting with Disney about the project. Here's what he had to say. I was over in Hollywood earlier this year mooching about, and I had a meeting at Disney, and the conversation drifted around to Pixar animating a Doctor Strange movie. Now, wouldn't that be nice? I think it would uh, – see, those third-tier and second-tier characters, that's what you should do, you know, little CGI movies, little animated features, straight-to-video shit that you can generate a buzz and maybe integrate into the, the, the always-fucking-growing Marvel franchises. A little movie like that, CGI, nothing crazy, small budget, not too bad. Would be worth seeing for sure. I mean, Doctor Strange is a, is a very, you know, he, you either really love him or really hate him. He's not, he's not a, on my Aquaman level of hate or Submariner level of hate, but he's definitely kind of a eh, character that definitely doesn't deserve a big budget movie. But, I mean, there's been an animated Doctor Strange movie already, so I don't know if they want to go back into the well twice for it, but... Who knows, but Disney's trying to fucking squeeze Marvel for all it's worth, so let's see what happens in the coming months if this develops further. Last but not least, to wrap it up, Ongbok 3 will be coming out in January 2011, according to a press release that went out today. It's going to be released by Magnolia Pictures and Magnet Releasing. Tony Jaa, of course, will be reprising his role, and he also wrote and directed this third and final installment. So Ongbok 3 will be the final installment of the series. Tony Jaa going out with a bang. And with that said, that wraps up the show for this week, folks. Another My Take Radio in the books. With that said, let me just get a couple of plugs out of the way for a couple of the supporters for the show. Uh, RazorClothing.com, of course. Uh, guest of the show, Razor Rob McCullough, is fighting for Tachi Palace Fights this tonight. Uh, his clothing line and website is RazorClothing.tv. i got to give a shout-out to Kai from Northeast Wasteland as he prepares to launch a brand-new endeavor that I will be discussing in the coming weeks. I'm going to try and get some information from him so I can share it with you guys via the fan page or via the link. In addition to that, a shout-out to BrandonBaron.com, MMAValor.com for always supporting the show. Uh, Austin Creed, a.k.a. Consequences Creed, and GoCreedGo.com is his website. You can also follow him on Twitter at as Xavier Woods PhD is one of his Twitter handles for his character in WWE, and you can follow his personal account. I believe it's at Austin Creed. Uh, Razor Rob is also on Twitter. You can follow at Razor Rob or at Razor Clothing. GiantSparrow.com for Max Geiger from The Deadliest Warrior. Uh, DrinkDocs.com for Docs Vitamin Water. GirlGamer.com for always supporting the show um, and always making sure to get the My Take Radio name out there to the masses. Shout out to those ladies for doing a great job. Same thing with GamingAngels.com. MMAGospel.com, you can catch them on Wednesdays on the Blog Talk Radio Network, I believe, at 8 p.m. 
You can catch uh, the Reverend Turk and Gary breaking down all the news in MMA and also like not talking about a lot of the amateur promoter, the amateur promotions and amateur fighters on there. Check out their site at MMAGospel.com or at Fighters.com. Of course, Hayden Dalton from Darksiders. You can check out his blog. It's HaydenDalton.wordpress.com. Shout out to the VGN crew as always. Uh, Don Anderson's Tumbling with Tumbleweed, Tuesdays, 10 p.m. on the Blog Talk Radio Network. For any of the VGN programs, head over to VGNRadio.com, and you can get schedules for VGN Radio or for Cleveland Sports Radio. Of course, got to give a huge shout-out to Blaine from BornStubberRadio.com for all his work with me on MyTakeRadio 3.0, as well as various graphics and business cards and stuff. Check out his show. Head over to BornStubberRadio.com or also look for BornStubborn on Twitter at BornStubborn. 411mania.com, always for their great news. OC Remix for their kick-ass video game music. MMA Junkie for their badass video ga- their badass MMA news. And Film Drunk for their kick-ass movie news. With that said, My Take Radio 58 is in the books for Thursday, September 9th, 2010. If you need to email me for any questions or concerns or to be a guest on the show, the email address is mtrhost at gmail.com. For those of you on the Twitter... You can follow my personal account, twitter.com slash akuma25, A-K-U-M-A, the number 25, or you can follow the My Take Radio show Twitter, twitter.com slash mytakeradio. If you're on MySpace and if anybody's still out there, myspace.com slash mytakeradio is our MySpace page. And, of course, take the opportunity if you're on Facebook, which most of you are for a good portion of your day, Stop over to the Facebook fan page. It's facebook.com slash mytakeradio. Hit that like button and show your support. Of course, there's going to be tons of stuff happening on the Facebook fan page in the near future, so definitely stay tuned there. And, of course, mytakeradio.com for all the articles from myself, Slick, Ant, uh, my fiance Andrea, Bronx, Josh, all the crew putting up great content on a, on a regular basis, some more frequently than others. But nonetheless, mytakeradio.com is the place for that. And with that said, I'm out. little outro track from Epic NES to close the show. I'll catch you guys next week. Thanks for listening, and as always, thanks for the support. I'm out. Peace. Oh, well, look at that. Looks like the switchboard is not working for audio clips. Why? I don't know. Guess there won't be any outgoing music unless you download the episodes from iTunes or listen to it on the iTunes app or later on when I add music into the Blog Talk Radio episode. So with that said, my apologies, but the music will be added in post-production. With that, I'm out. See you guys next week. Again, thanks for listening. Thanks for your support. MyTakeRadio.com. Look for us on Facebook, Twitter, MySpace, or in the iTunes store. Catch you guys next week. Peace.